Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study, 7 a.m. Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Amy G., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Today's date is February 27th, and today we are reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we are at page 31, the first full paragraph that starts with Despite All We Can Say, through two paragraphs ending in, uh, we could add the list ad infinitum and commenting on both paragraphs. Today's readers are, thank you for your service, Susan H., Barbara E., and Martha Z. The reference numbers for yesterday's Monday 26, 7 a.m. meeting is 11,097. That's 11097. And for yesterday's 10 a.m. meeting is 11,100. That's 11100. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive eater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask for Cecilia H. to read the 12 steps. Go ahead, Cecilia. Good morning. This is Cecilia H. from Pittsburgh. I'm a compulsive overeater, grateful for my daily reprieve. Here are the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for the opportunity to be of service. Thank you so much, Cecilia H. I will now ask for Tony Ann A. to read the 12 traditions. Go ahead, please. 
Tony Ann, press star one to unmute. Sorry about that. I'm talking away. Good morning. This is Tony Ann, a, a recovered compulsive overeater from Montclair, New Jersey. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or commu committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need ma always maintain personal amenity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Tony Ann. Okay, how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the direction for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. If you go over, you'll hear me say time. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 31, starting with despite all we can say, and I will ask Sarah H. to begin reading. Go ahead, Sarah. Well, I'm Susan H., and I'm ready. Susan, I beg your pardon, <laughs> Susan H., go it's ahead. Okay. It's okay, I'm Susan H., I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Ohio. <clears throat> Despite all we can say, many who are real alcoholics are not going to believe they are in that class. By every form of self-deception and experimentation, they will try to prove themselves exception to the exceptions to the rule, therefore non-alcoholic. If anyone who is showing inability to control his drinking can do the right about face and drink like a gentleman, our hats are off to him. Heaven knows we have tried hard enough and long enough to drink like other people. Here are some of the methods we have tried. <coughs> Excuse me. Drinking beer only, limiting the number of drinks, never drinking alone, never drinking in the morning, drinking only at home, never having it in the house, 
never drinking during business hours, drinking only at parties, switching from scotch to brandy, drinking only natural wines, agreeing to resign if ever drunk on the job, taking a trip, not taking a trip, swearing off forever with and without a solemn oath, taking more physical exercise, reading inspirational books, going to health farms and sanitariums, accepting voluntary commitment to asylums. We could increase the list ad infinitum. Um, what speaks to me today is the list of all those methods. Um, I think those methods for me were, um, some of the methods I have tried were only water after supper, eight glasses of water every day, low-carb diet, low-fat diet, joining a diet program, weighing in every week, every day, or several times a day, till miracle supplements, fasting, considering surgery, and more. I spent most of my life looking for that answer that would solve the weight problem. I finally looked for OA, found a meeting, and spent a year and a half just listening identifying the crazy things that others said about food as my story, yet couldn't or refused to concede to my innermost self that my eating was out of control and my life was unmanageable. I had started listening to a vision for you by the time I had my last binge. It was one of those I didn't even think about. I was devastated again. In desperation, I left my name and number as a newcomer on this program. Um, the desperation was a good place to start. A recovered sponsor willing to work with me found me. What I've gained as a result of working with death is much more than a normal sized body. I found a new life, a design for a living that really works. Clear-cut direction. I found a directing higher power that loves me unconditionally. And I am so grateful. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Susan H. <laughs> okay, so who would like to share on what was read? Madam. Roanne M. Barbara E. Kim G. Katie F. Chrissy G. Vasa O. Okay, hold on. Katie F. Vasa O. Can you tell me what was read, please? Yes, one second. Sure, thank uh, you. Page, sure, page 31, the second and third paragraph, or first and second paragraph, first full paragraph, despite all we can say. Okay, so I have Roanne M., Matt M., Kim G., Katie F., Vasa O., and Barbara Z. Let's go with that group. Roanne M., followed by Matt M. I think it was Roanne M. Yes. Hi. Good morning. This is Roanne M. I'm calling from New York, New York. Gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. Grateful to be on the line. I love these paragraphs because I have to remember that I am bodily and mentally different from my fellows. More about alcoholism. That's in the first paragraph. And I am not... I'm not in, I have to believe that I'm in that class and every, by every form of self-deception and experimentation, they will try to prove themselves exceptions to the rule. I tried everything, every single method to prove that I could control and enjoy 
at the same time my eating. But if I was controlling it, I was not enjoying it. Exceptions to the rule, therefore non-alcoholic. I'm not an exception to the rule. I have this thing. I'm not unique. I have to take actions every single day so that I can have a reprieve from this spiritual malady. If anyone who is showing inability to control his drinking can do the right about face and drink like a gentleman, our hats are off to him. Boy, did I try every single diet, even being hypnotized, going to retreats. I even had a surgery. I had a bariatric surgery, which is not something I even like to talk about. But because of program, I... Um, and I, I had the lap band surgery and I had the lap band removed because it caused me so many health problems. And, because, and the lap band did not fix my head. And it's a mental disease. It's a physical allergy and it's a mental twist. And no surgery, no diet. Nothing will fix this illness. I need God. Every single substance just makes the God-sized hole even bigger. Here are some of the methods we have tried. Drinking beer only, limiting the number of drinks, never drinking alone, never drinking in the morning. All those methods, none of them work. OA is the last stop on the bus for me. I had to have a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. I am a different person today than I was when I walked in these rooms. I'm not the same. I needed God. The first thing I have to do in the morning is to connect to my higher power. Of myself, I am nothing. It tells us in the book we had to have a power greater than ourselves or else we will perish. We could increase the list ad infinitum. It's true. I did everything. Drinking in the morning, drinking only at home, never drinking, never having in the house. I would just keep only certain things at my house and not, and then have only certain things um, at other people's houses. And it just didn't work. Nothing worked. This is the only thing that works. If you're new and struggling, please, please do this program like your life depends on it. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you. Matt M., you're up, followed by Kim G. Thank you, Amy, for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Matt M., a compulsive overeater from New Jersey. Yeah, um, all those different methods that we tried, I'm definitely a person who's gone to extremes at certain times. I even thought of getting surgery as one of my choices here, you know. So um, I've I've lied to myself, decided to deceive myself for so many years that I'm not really liking people. I just have a lot of the ego, a lot of ego and a lot of weight to lose, you know, that's all. There's nothing really wrong with me. Once I lose the weight, I'll be fine. And I lost a lot of weight in the, in the rooms and in other rooms. I've been up and down the scale, and uh, that didn't change my mentality. My mentality still stayed the same that, you know, I thought if I just found the right diet, I'd be okay. Try a different, any different diet. Try if I found the right pill. If I found the right doctor. If I found the right um, exercise routine. 
if I ate only organic foods, you know, never, never eating uh, fast food, at, only eating fast food once a month, uh, or only buying cookies like once a month, or, you know, different uh, things that I would try to try to break my habit, and that's not how it works. You know, there's certain foods, unfortunately, that I have to say goodbye to, and I did say goodbye to, and uh, it's, not, it's not easy because my, my brain still functions and, and wants those foods, but, uh, you know, uh, so I'm not finished with the process yet, but, you know, it's one of those things that I have to realize that, you know, that extra food, a little bit of extra food or going to any going to any different restaurants, picking different restaurants and stuff like that, going to, to have good food for me to eat and I can eat on my food plan. It's not always a good thing, you know. Sometimes I have to say no to myself and to my friends, and that's, I hate doing that. But I have to realize that my, I come first. I have to come first right now until I finish this process. Then I can go out and help others. If I don't take care of myself, I don't put the oxygen mask on myself first. I can't be of usefulness to anybody else. But I can still be there for other people to try to support them in their hour of need. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Matt M. Kim G., you're up, followed by Katie F. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered <clears throat> compulsive overeater from South Jersey. By every form of self-deception and experimentation, you know, this reminds me of the doctor's opinion. You know, I cannot differentiate the true from the false. My alcoholic life is the only normal one. You know, these are the excuses that I use. You know, that I, you know, in any 12-step program, I think we define disease by consequences, and it's a way for us to identify out. You know. Um, you know, I, I always use Harlan. You know, Harlan was 700 pounds. I don't need to do what Harlan does. I was never that big. You know, I would use in my bulimia. I never, I didn't throw up as much as my sorority sisters, so I can't be bulimic. Oh, my God. You know, I was your intergroup chair. You know, I, I've been a speaker at retreats. I've done special editions. I've been a moderator. And I've seen people tumble into relapse because, oh, that can't be me. I, that doesn't apply to me. You know, I think to myself, you know, in my obesity, I remember at a time I only had mirrors that would show me from the neck up, and that way I could just ignore what my body looked like. You know, I would think, well, if I don't eat in front of people, then people aren't going to know that I'm fat. You know, at the age of 23, I went to the doctor because I knew I must have some rare illness because I was so exhausted all the time. My knees were hurting me. And I remember going over and looking at my chart, and my diagnosis was morbid obesity. You know, in my bulimia, one of the ways that I would do it is I'd have what I considered a, a, a reasonable meal, and then I'd eat a bunch of carrots, and I personally can't stand carrots. And then I would binge on what I wanted to, and I would throw up until I saw the carrots because that seemed reasonable. You know, I have a bad hip, but I would run 10, 10, 12 miles on a Saturday morning, and I wouldn't be able to walk until Sunday night, but I needed to do that penance in order for my bulimia to, to work. You know, even when I was underweight, you know, I remember one time going to a store. I, w- I was a size two, and my size two were starting to get loose. And I asked her what I, you know, for a smaller size, and they said I couldn't have it. I broke down in tears. I was crying hysterically and asking the, this, this, you know, 17-year-old salesperson, what am I supposed to do if you don't have a smaller size? You know, and I remember, too, me and my sponsor the last time I was in relapse, which lasted over five years before I became recovered, I remember the moment I broke my abstinence. We went to lunch together and we had a salad. I personally am, and my sponsor were, were um, allergic to, to flour. And we, she ordered a salad and had tortilla chips on the top. And I said, what are you doing? And she goes, oh, I decided I was taking this way too seriously. I'm only allergic to white flour. I can have other flours. And I'm like, oh, okay, because if my sponsor can have it, I can have it. 
And then I started to redefine my accident. So, of course, I'm accident if I can redefine it. I put on 50 pounds. My sponsor put on 100 pounds. No one in the room ever asked us why we were continued to qualify as, self, as, as abstinent. This disease is deceiving, and that's why we need recovered voices in our life to confront that disease thinking. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Katie F., you're up, followed by Vasa O. Okay, <clears throat> I think you called on me. This is Katie F. I did. Good morning. This is Katie F., a recovered compulsive overeater. And this is, you know, one of those sections in the book that, you know, I've practically memorized. Um, and, you know, my problem was, as I started my compulsive overeating, my my career of trying uh, diets and um, losing weight when I was nine years old. So normal was not anywhere in my life. I never knew what it was like to be normal. Um, and that was my big quest was to find the perfect diet so that when I lost the weight, which, you know, was 10 pounds and 20, then 30, up to needing to lose 70 pounds. Um, by the age of 27, my goal was always to then be able to eat like normal people. And of course, my brain wasn't like a normal person. So all of these methods that I tried, if my goal was to then to be able to eat like normal people, it didn't matter what I tried. It didn't matter what diet I was on. I was going to end up back where I was. And that's what happened time and time again, in the rooms, out of the rooms, you know, paying someone, not paying someone, writing my food down, not writing my food down, calling a sponsor, not calling a sponsor. It didn't matter what I did. Um, it didn't work when my end result, my goal was to someday be able to eat like a normal person. And I never believed that I would ever not want that as my goal. I, I had to divorce from all of my thinking, not just my thinking about um, certain foods or certain, uh, you know, I just didn't know what I didn't know. And I couldn't uh, see that I was going to be able to stay away from these foods, be around these foods, make these foods, um, serve these foods and not care. I did I had no idea that I would have the freedom from the food that I have today. Um, you know, most alcoholics don't become bartenders, but with food, we have to prepare food in our lives. You know, maybe uh, some people don't ever have to prepare food for other people, but most people do. And the good news is I'm not a slave to that mental torture of wanting that food that I'm giving to other people, that I enjoy my food, I have put down every food substance that was a trigger for me and there's still food left to eat that I enjoy, but I don't want more of when the bowl is empty. And I'm just so grateful and I'll pass. Thank you, Katie F. Vasa O, your turn followed by Barbara E. Thank you, Amy, for your service and good morning, everyone. I'm Vasa, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater calling from Florida. And uh, before I came to Overeaters Anonymous and I tried all these things, how to c control my food addiction, it's like the alcoholic, but I really did not understand. I didn't know I had a disease. I didn't know they called it the uh, food addiction. I didn't know they called it eating disorder. 
I didn't know anything about the allergy. I just, I did not, I didn't know. I just did not know what I did not know. I was shocked to find out it was a disease and I had the allergy. It was just, in many ways, I was so grateful to hear about it. Finally, at least, I said, okay, at least I know who I am, who I am and what I'm doing because, you know, I did not know, so I'm okay, so what can I do about it? But anyways, I did all these crazy things, you know, putting the dieting, uh, starving, over-exercising. I even have stuck my fingers down my throat a few times. Um, I didn't have money to replace the food, so I stopped doing that, you know, and I threw myself into over-exercising, running, playing tennis, outside singles, uh, playing singles, and and burning all the calories. I felt then I would I could go home and make and I can reward myself with the food. But even before I came to OA, I remember reading in Dear Abby years ago. I don't know how long before. She said people that were struggling with food. They could go to Overeaters Anonymous, but I wasn't. I didn't think I was that bad yet because I thought I needed to be like 50 or 100 pounds overweight to belong there. But it was getting progressive. But I'll never forget when I read that article. I didn't think I was one of those people yet, you know. And it is by the grace of God. By the time I came to Overeaters Anonymous. And it was getting progressive, you know. I was like 30 pounds overweight trying to control it by doing all the things that I was doing. And there were like a couple more things I wanted to do, like maybe the gastro bypass or go to hypnotist or have my jaws wired in those days. And I was just too embarrassed to go to a doctor or something and uh, I heard people going to a hypnotist, but I was too afraid to go. He, he might not bring me back, you know. But anyways, I am just so, so grateful. I don't have to do those behaviors any longer. You know, I don't, I stay away from the things that cause the allergy to my body, and uh, I eat healthy. And I've, everything I've learned, I've learned here. I'm just so, so grateful, and I have a life, I have a second life. You know, that I, it was going to kill me the way I was right. going. Second chance to life. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. Barbara E., it's your turn. Thank you. Good morning, everyone, and thank you all for your service. What an important chapter for me. This book is like a roller coaster ride. It fills us with warnings and promises and prayers and hope. I, too, like we just read, have tried all manner of things, Weight Watchers, Diet Center, Optifast, Psychologists, you name it, starving, binging, uh, eating only on weekends, eating substitutes, eating fake things that were to mimic real things. Nothing worked in the long run. I lost weight and I gained weight and lost it and gained weight. When I came in to Overeaters Anonymous, I was hopeless. I knew I'd fail again. No doubt about it, my history told me. I came in, 
I lost 140 pounds. Great. Yay me. But the difference is I kept it off. This book is filled with warnings, warnings. If an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he couldn't survive the certain trials and spots ahead. That's on page 14. The feeling of sharing in a common peril is one element in the powerful cement, but in itself that would have never held us together. Page 17. But then we have the acceptance prayer on page 417. Uh, and the promises, the promises, we're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. When I came into OA, I knew I was a compulsive overeater. But what I didn't think was that I needed a God, a power stronger than myself to help me to get abstinent. I had to realize, I had to humble myself. I had to finally accept that if I wanted to have a new freedom, and a new happiness. And I wanted not to regret the past and not to shut the door on it and have a new concept of serenity and peace. I had to work the program. I had to go through the warnings, go through the promises, go through the prayers. I had to engage in the four Ps. I had to pause. I had to pray. I had to ponder. I had to proceed. I had to use the set-aside prayer to ask God if it is his will for me to get overcome my many, many liabilities that I encountered during the day. I do that imperfectly. But one thing I keep to, no matter what, is my Hi. abstinence. Thank you so much. My abstinence is like a fine piece of glass. If I ping on it, it could shatter. I can't afford to do that, and I can't afford to leave this program. Thank you. Have a blessed day. I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. We have time to take a few more shares. Who would like to chime in? Julie K. This is Larry K. Melissa C. Larry K. Sandra D. Putting myself in here. Sandra D, was it? Sue N D. Thank you. Oh, Sue N D. Did you get Lisa B? I did not. Lisa B. I can take one more. How about one more? I have Larry K, Melissa C, Amy G, Sue Ann D, Lisa B. Patty K. Patty K? Yes, yes. All right, great. Let's go with that. All right, Larry K, followed by Melissa C. Go ahead, Larry. Amy, thank you. Thanks for your service. Um, Larry K, I'm recovered today um, by the grace of God. The... um, I guess what I wanted to share with regard to this, um, to, uh, to what we read this morning, um, just has to do with, uh, the, you know, this notion of um, self-deception and experimentation. So I'm going to try to be different. And it's an interesting thing to me, these, these ego defenses, these unconscious processes that we deploy, you know, 
and, and they help us to get rid of fear and anxiety that arise when who we think we are or who we think we should be comes into conflict with who we really are, and I can relate to that. You know, when my walk doesn't closely align with my talk, you know what the result is? Pain, emotional pain, anxiety, fear. I can't bear to be the person that my actions show that I am, and I'll do anything to convince myself, let alone you, that I'm okay. So, for example, you know, I'll try to rationalize why, why I eat so much. I'll, hey, if you had a childhood that was abusive like mine, you'd binge as well. If you had a marriage like mine, you know, mine was, you'd stuff your face too. If you had the financial difficulties that I had, you'd, you'd vomit in a stall, wouldn't you? Doesn't anybody? If you were teased like me as a child, let's say, of course you'd eat until your eyeballs hurt. Who, who wouldn't? And eventually I'm going to repress these notions. I'm going to blot out any notion of pain and simply look for evidence that what I'm doing is normal and it becomes my normal and everybody does it after all. And, you know, one of the greatest oracles of the ancient world was the Oracle of Delphi. And, and, and what was inscribed in the temple of Apollo was a simple two-word command. I like that two-word command. It's know thyself. This program, these steps, these actions allow us to know ourselves. If we are, you know, if we are, if the obsession's been lifted happily, but I'm still assassinating the character of everyone, I'm the judge and the jury of everyone, and everybody makes me irritable, and it's never me, it's always you. I can always see that it's you, it's you, it's you, and it's never me. Is that the recovery that I want? No. Perfection? No. We're all human. But is that the recovery I want? Of course not. And these actions, these steps, allow us by the grace of God to have a different type of peace and serenity and tolerance and love. And for that, I'm grateful to know thyself. Thanks. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry. Melissa C., your turn. Hi. Good morning, Amy. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., Recovered. Compulsive overeater in New York, and um, yeah, so this, like, ability to deceive myself, this self-deception, um, you know, this disease makes makes me into a liar, and the person that I lie to the best, or look to lie to the best is myself, you know, because when you're eating compulsively, behaving in a way that, um, you know, really is outside what you want for yourself, for my spirit, I had to tell myself a lot of lies to give myself permission to do the things that I was doing. And, you know, the ability to lie to yourself, um, it's it's easy because, you know, this disease exists in my mind. And so the lies that I can create, well, I can believe them because, I'm, you know, I'm creating them. I know the exact correct one for any given situation. So it could be I'm on vacation, of course you're going to eat. It could be you're at a wedding, of course you're going to eat. It could be you're sad, you're angry, you're nervous. You know, any any situation I have the lie 
ready. It's in my pocket, ready for me to take out. And, and it's believable, you know. And then the experimentation, um, yeah, I think for those of us with this particular addiction, with this food compulsion, you know, we've done, I've done loads of experiments. They're called diets. And they're really appealing because the rest of the world does them. And the rest of the world, who may or may not have my problem, pushes and supports them. So I was constantly looking um, for, for a new trick. Um, and I had to experiment. You know, I could read about what to do, but until I've done it, until I've actually tried it, I don't have the data. You know, it's like I don't have the data that applies to me. So my experimentation, I think, um, although painful, and sometimes I wish that, you know, gosh, I wish I didn't quite have to suffer for so long. Every time I experiment, I learned. I learned just how cunning and baffling and powerful this disease is. So that, um, you know, hopefully the next time I didn't need to conduct that same trial again. And that's, that's been my experience. I'm coming home from being away on a vacation where I was 100% abstinent and happily abstinent and of service. And that's new. That's still relatively new. It's four years that I've been doing that rather than eating compulsively on a vacation. And um, thank you with that, I'll cast. Great, thank you, Melissa C. My name's Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. I had to just jump in here. So these are some pretty extraordinary methods that uh, are being tried here to, to stop the, the drinker. And I can certainly relate to those, as others have mentioned, about the eating. And I guess the question bears asking here, why, why didn't these methods work? And, and, I, and I know for me, and, and it says it somewhere in the big book, I just can't think of the page off the top of my head, that the drinking was but a symptom. The problem was me. And as we talked about in the doctor's opinion, you know, it says here at the top of this paragraph we're reading, the real alcoholic, the real compulsive overeater has a twofold disease, a physical allergy and a mental obsession. And the greater aspect being the mental obsession. I could certainly relate to all of these methods being tried and that people have mentioned and then some. But it doesn't matter if I try a solemn oath or whatever, but because of my thinking, my, my obsession with destructive eating, you know, denial, delusion, defiance, self-deception, all of those would come to play. My sick mind couldn't fix my sick mind. You know, it says that we have warped our minds with such an obsession for destructive eating that only an act of providence working these 12 steps, in my humble opinion, relieves me of that. I can try all of these methods, but all I'm doing is addressing the symptoms, the manifestation of the disease within me. So if I, can, I, I can't go on a new diet, it's like putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound for me. It doesn't do anything because all I'm doing is addressing the eating. That's all I'm trying to do, and I'm trying to use my, throw everything at it, like my willpower and these solemn oaths and not going to buffets anymore or not eating after 7 o'clock or exercising seven hours. I mean, all of those things, binging, purging, I mean, I name those being addicted to amphetamines to try to control my weight. It was my methods of trying to control something that I had no control over because of my mental obsession, because of that mental twist. I could address the symptom, my eating, till doomsday, and it still wouldn't fix what was going on in between my two ears. 
I needed to have a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. That's what needed to be addressed. I needed to address the illness within me and my thinking, not addressing the food. And until I did that, I was never going to recover. Thank God for this program that showed me another way because I am a real compulsive overeater. I think he's very significant putting that word there, real compulsive overeater, because I had to concede that to my innermost self that that was who I was, and I better learn through the process of doing the 12 steps if I was ever going to recover because these methods would never work and they never did. And with that, I'll pass. Okay, Sue and Dee, it is your turn. Hi, this is Sue Ann D. Uh, I'm calling from New York. I am a compulsive overeater, and I'm going through a really difficult time right now. Um, I am facing a surgery, and um, I was abstinent up until I found out about the surgery, and it's caused me a great deal of pain uh, and suffering because I went back to thinking that, okay, if I try these new things, um, oh, I'll just change my food plan a little uh, because, after all, I deserve it. I'm in so much pain. Um so if anyone has been in that situation and have any suggestions, I would greatly appreciate it uh, of how to handle two surgeries back-to-back and remain abstinent. With that, um, I thank you all. I thank you for your service. Uh, pass. Oh, sorry, I was muted. I beg your pardon. Uh, Sue Ann D., I was saying you might want to hang out for the second hour to get some phone numbers. Lisa B., you're up, followed by Patty Kay. Good morning. This is Lisa B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. Thank you, Amy, for your service, and I'm, I'm really happy and grateful to be here this morning. Um, the line that jumped out for me was uh, reading inspirational books. And I really tried, you know, through prayer and meditation to get some relief um, with this illness. And um, I did actually have some wonderful spiritual experiences that were probably life-saving, you know, maybe even saved me from committing suicide at a young age. Um, I had some wonderful spiritual experiences when I was 16, and they, they are still with me today. But, you know... It was not until I met someone that had the same first step with me, was a real compulsive overeater, and walked this path and got recovered. And I did not believe it was possible to get recovered. And like someone shared earlier, I want to give a shout-out for healthy meetings where there are recovered individuals that can share their experience, strength, and hope. And using this basic text, the, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and identifying in you know, was vital for me. And I love in Dr.'s opinion how he says um, that the message which can interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight. In nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. So I had a spiritual understanding, but 
it's not enough. I can't hide out on a hilltop journaling my letters to God, and I can't hide out in a church, you know, for me. It was not until I got into the program, not the fellowship really, but the program. Certainly the fellowship is wonderful, but the program of Alcoholics Anonymous utilizing these steps in this big book to recover from compulsive overeating and seeing who and what I really am. You know, this book is amazing the way it starts out and the way it lays it all out so clearly. And in this chapter, it's talking about the worst aspect of this illness, which is my mind. It's always going to be there. And I have recovered today from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and I am recovered, but I'm not cured, and I need to stay in these steps every day. And when I'm just relying on inspiration and not going to other recovered fellows to hear my 10 steps, to share my um, 11 step, to work with others and taking them through this work. And I'm starting to isolate that feeling of, you know, maybe I was making too big a deal of this. Maybe I'm okay. Um, that will come back and I will pick up and it will be worse because it does progress and it does get worse, especially as I get older. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, um, Lisa V. Patty Kate, your turn. Good morning. This is Patty Case from Florida. Um, yeah, I did all those things too, and I'm still still doing some of them, thinking that I can eat abstinent food that that one extra bite won't won't hurt or whatever. I'm so grateful for um, a vision for you because it's really trying. To, it's keeping me honest. You know, I've been on this meet this meeting just for I don't know maybe a month or so, and I've gained so much. And uh, you know. Because inside my head, my disease convinces me I can do these little things, uh, that extra bite or that extra meal or, you know, oh, this has happened and I'm going to lose my house. I need to eat, you know, and, um, you know, I have phone numbers to call and everything. So I'm just saying it out loud. I just need to pick up the phone and instead of the food because, you know, what I'm doing, I'm, I may not be into a full-fledged binge, but that's where it's going to go. It's not even the food. It's my thinking, that permission giving. So. I'm grateful to hear what I need to hear and to hear others share and, and share my story and I don't have to feel shame and, um, you know, and, and the, some of the things that are said like, yeah, yeah, I get that, you know. So thank you all for being here and have a great day. I pass. Thank you, Patty Kay. So we have time for a few more shares, maybe two or three. Who would like Nancy to share? Nancy P. Nancy P. Jody EQ. Julie M. Julie M. Chrissy G. Carrie Ann K. Okay, I think we're going to have to stop. Sorry, Carrie Ann. I've got Nancy P., Jody E.Q., Julie M., and Chrissy G. Chrissy, we may not get to you. I'm not sure. Um, go ahead, Nancy P., you're up. Hi, thanks to everybody for your sharing. Um, I'm so grateful to be here and to be absent today. And um, I was, I love this paragraph. And I have every day, I have new understanding of what I hear um, on on the meetings. And um, I've been coming for a really long time, and I've never ever enjoyed effortless, serene abstinence. I've only ever been in almost 50 years. I've only ever been um, abstinent. Uh, at the most six months, and mo most of that time would have been losing weight and then um, maintaining not really at all and then back on my way up again, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. Um, but I, it was not until I could get completely honest 
um, completely honest, and that meant not even a wisp of dishonesty. And I, when I, when you know, when I heard this, I always laugh when it says with and without a solemn oath, because that just seems to me to be tongue in cheek. You know, who are you kidding? Type of you know text, and that was that was like me. I would say I'll only do this, or I'll only do that, or I'll only eat here, I'll only, you know, all these excuses. And um, one thing that my sponsor said is, no, she, she said, write your, your alcoholic foods. And I wrote down that sugar was my alcoholic food. And previous to working with her, I was of the school that uh, fifth or below, I was of the, you know, fifth or below school of thought that if you ate sugar, the, with the ingredient was fifth or below, that you could have that food. And um, she disagreed. And she said, if you take medicine, which I do every day, I have to take statins, you know, would you skip that only, you know, once a week? And I thought, no, I wouldn't. So I adopted that and got completely honest. And the and so I had now enjoyed completely effortless serene abstinence. So that's good. That allowed me time to think, to work on the, the obsession of the mind. And what I used to do on my way to work every day, I worked about six miles from my house and on my way to work I would stop at a grocery store that was en route and I would pick up a bunch of sugar and flour you know donuts and bagels that type of thing that I could eat quickly in my car and stuff my face and then when I got to my parking garage I would take the bags and wrappers and whatever food was left and I would there was a trash barrel in the elevator um vestibule so I would throw it away I would dust off my hands and I would actually say these words out loud it's like it never happened and then I would go to work and I would have like dry mouth you know from all the sugar and salt and you know and then I got honest and now I don't do that anymore and then the other night on the way home from work on the way home from some someplace I saw a plumbing and um, a sewage truck whose tagline was as though it never happened and I had to laugh because I thought to myself, I don't have to be there anymore. I don't have to say it's like it never happened. Today, I want to live my life every single day to the fullest. And I'm so grateful for everybody's sharing. I'm so grateful that I found a vision for you. And I cannot thank my sponsor enough. I'm a changed, changed woman. Everything is different, yet nothing is different. I have the same life, but everything has changed. So thank you all. And I pass. Thank you, Nancy P. Jody EQ. Europe. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Good morning, everybody. This is Jody EQ, gratefully recovered in California. So despite all we can say, many who are real alcoholics are not going to believe they are in that class. So despite all we are saying here on the line today, many who are listening may still not believe they are in this class, it seems that we have to experiment for ourselves. We have to try to control our eating. Because why? Because we like to eat our favorite foods, do we not? I know that I, before I became abstinent from my alcoholic foods, could not imagine living without them. I could not imagine it. Scared me. It put the fear of I don't know what in me to imagine living without them. The interesting thing is, though, that when I did become willing and when I 
realized that I had to put them down once and for all, once I was willing to do that and did that and work the steps, I do not miss them in the least. On the contrary, today I'm a free woman because I no longer eat my alcoholic foods nor engage in my alcoholic food behaviors. So yes, I do have to experiment. I did all of these sorts of things. I tried to control it every which way, only on Sundays. Um, Yeah, wouldn't have it in the house. Uh, All kinds of things, fasting, um, going to to, uh, health farms. I've done that. And, you know, doesn't mean that they can be good. But I don't have to do all those shenanigans today because I know who I am and I'm true to myself. To thine own self, be true. I am a real compulsive overeater and there are certain foods and food behaviors that for me are alcoholic. And I'm just so blessed to have found this program that has shown me the solution. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Jody EQ, Julie M. Uh, could you take us home, so to speak? Hi, good morning, Hans. Thanks for your service. This is Julie M. Recovered in Netherlands, Colorado. And when I hear the list of uh, you know all these excuses, um, it reminds me of my first probably four and a half years in OA where I had put down the sugar and I had put down the flour and I had lost a considerable amount of weight because of that. Um, And so I considered myself abstinent, yet I was doing all kinds of crazy things with high fat. And because my sponsor didn't think that you could have an allergy to cheese and because, you know, I never heard people talking about the things I was doing necessarily with this food, um, I didn't think I had a problem with it. Yet, if this is the point that I want to make, is that it doesn't matter what anyone else's food plan is. It doesn't matter what anyone else, you know, what sheet they hand me to follow. It's what am I obsessing about? What am I willing to drive, you know, an hour out of the way for? What am I, I mean, I would shop for cheese like I was a, you know, a connoisseur of of food for some, you know, gourmet magazine, yet I was considering myself abstinent. And so, um, you know, it was really getting down to what am I going crazy about? What am I thinking about all the time? And reading through the doctor's opinion helped me understand that more than anything. And now that I have put down high fat, um, I'm finally truly abstinent, and um, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much, Julie M., and thank you, everyone, who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour study immediately following the closing. The share ID for today, Tuesday, February 27th, is 11,101. That's 11101. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Would Barbara E. please read a vision for you? 
Barbara E. Star, one to unmute. Sorry, I thought I was. Uh, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning, morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who's still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Heal away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. 